that the book is giving life to you, that it is, if you know Christ and have life in Him, that it is simply deepening your walk with Jesus and giving you ever more resolve and confidence. And if you do not yet know Christ, I hope that in the preaching of God's Word that the Holy Spirit who gives life would take the words that He has authored and He would indeed transform your heart and give you life. So today we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 in a message that I'm calling Faith in the Wilderness. Faith in the Wilderness. Last week we were encouraged to hold fast to Jesus because Jesus is the builder of the house. Unlike Moses, he's not just a servant in the house, he's over the house and therefore he has more glory than anyone else in the house and therefore we should be faithful to him, the one who's worthy of glory. But it's one thing, right, to say that we're faithful to Jesus or to say that we will be faithful to Jesus and it's another thing entirely to actually be faithful to him when it's difficult to do so. There's a, there's a reason that we have a Veterans Day. There's a reason that we honor and celebrate and regard as heroes those who went into battle and did not run away. Their lives and their heroism on the battlefields of this earth remind us of the one who ran into certain death so that he could wage war against it, overcome it, defeat the enemy in the unseen realm and make us victorious. Only Jesus could win that battle. And he won it for you and for me. And the proof of saving faith comes by obeying Jesus, not just when we think about it. It's not just believing in our minds. It's actually having a belief that transforms our actions even when times are difficult. Real belief is proven in adversity on our way to our inheritance. That's what's going on in the author's mind in Hebrews chapter 3. I've, I've told you that Jesus is better than the angels. I've told you that he's better than Moses. But are you going to follow him when it gets a little hot in the kitchen? When you get persecuted for your faith or tempted, are you going to remain faithful to Jesus? So the author here in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 and following gives those who are considering the idea of walking away from Christ a really good reason to reconsider. And you know what the reason is? Walking away from Jesus has already been tried and it did not go well for those who tried it. That's his point. In particular, he uses the example of the Israelites who were freed from slavery in Egypt, got to the wilderness, and God said, go into the promised land. And they said, you know what? We'll just not do that right now. We don't believe you'll actually protect us. And they ended up dying in the wilderness. Would you... Hear with me the, the summary of this story and its implications for us from Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 and continuing through the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me. And saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Would you pray with me? God, help us to take seriously this text. God, grant that we would hear your voice while it is called today and that we would respond to you with soft hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that we see in verses 7 through 19. The first is this. If we're going to stay faithful in the wilderness, and if we're going to enter God's rest, and you know what God's rest is, right? It's, it's, it's heaven. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's the, you remember God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, He did what? He rested. That doesn't mean that God stopped working. He was holding the whole universe together, but He was done with His creative activity. Things were as they should be. There was a world that was perfectly designed and constructed for the worship of God by Adam and Eve, and they messed it up, and they were cast out into the wilderness. And the rest of the Bible is a quest to get back to the rest of God, to to join with the triune God in this beautiful, wonderful love and rest and peace and satisfaction that only God can give. And the way back to the rest of God and out of the wilderness in which we presently live is outlined here. First, we've, we've got to hear and heed the warning of the Holy Spirit against hardening our hearts. In a sin-hardened wilderness, we are tempted to harden our hearts to a holy God. Secondly, we've got to keep on assessing or evaluating our hearts. Thirdly, we've got to daily encourage one another to believe the gospel. And finally, we must understand that the stakes of this sermon, this conversation, and this text, that they are serious and they are final. First, we've got to hear and heed the Holy Spirit's warning against hardening our hearts. The wilderness is the place that God uses to prove or disprove the faith of those who claim to be headed to the eternal garden, the final place of God's rest. The wilderness is not an easy place. It's a place that's dry, that's barren, that's lifeless, that was difficult, so difficult for the Israelites to live in that though they had been enslaved in Egypt, they wanted to go back to Egypt. It's amazing. Numbers 14 says this, right there on the edge of the promised land, as God says, go into my rest, this is what they say, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. It's one thing to get a man out of slavery. It's another thing to get slavery out of the man. They had come so far, but they did not believe God would spare their lives and give them victory in taking the land. They called a business meeting. They had a church vote at the edge of the wilderness and at the doorway to the promised land, and they said, we'll stay here. Only two out of twelve spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed that God would give them the land and victory over the giant enemies that stood in their way. The people refused to go, preferring the reliable riches of slavery. Slavery is an awful institution. It's a terrible thing. But you've got an owner that's going to see to it that you at least stay alive so that you can produce more free labor for him the next day. They wanted the reliable riches of slavery and sin wants you. And it'll give you just enough to keep you coming back for tomorrow. But there's a God who holds out a heavenly rest for you and you've got to give your life to Him and trust in Him and believe in Him and live your life for Him, trusting that on the other side is the resurrection that Christ can only give. And those riches, and in those riches, they just can't be compared to. They are the matchless riches of God that only come by faith. The lack of faith of the Israelites in God to lead them into the land of promise led to their death and to their death without burial in the wilderness. The psalmist reflects on this story in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, which is what the author of Hebrews is doing. It's really interesting. The author of Hebrews is reflecting on Psalm 95, which is reflecting on the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. You, you follow me? So we've got a reflection on a reflection. And we've got... Hebrews chapter 3, reflecting on Psalm 95, which begins with this beautiful call to worship. I think Paul used it just a service or two ago. It says, come, let us worship, let us sing to our God. But the second half of that psalm is a warning about the dangers of hardening our heart to God. It's pretty pointless to come and worship God if we've got hard hearts toward God. We need to have soft and open hearts toward God. And the psalm uses the example of the Israelites who fled slavery in Egypt but fell short of God's salvation in the wilderness. And with this story, look at verse 7. God is still speaking. Do you see that in verse 7? He does not say the Holy Spirit said. He says the Holy Spirit says, or literally is saying. Don't miss the importance of that. What God has spoken in His Word in the past is what He still speaks to His people today. Man, I wish God would just talk to me. I wish He would give me a new word. I wish He would say something to my life. He is saying something to your life based on what He has already said. Warfield says it this way, When Scripture speaks, God is speaking. We must still hear His voice in what God has said. The Bible is not an old, dead book for an old, dead era. It is the living Word of the living God who alone gives life. And we've got to hear His voice and heed His voice today. Today, if you hear 
his voice, the author says in verse 8. Did you know to have the word of God and to hear the voice of God in his word is an act of sheer mercy? No one in this room deserves to hold or to hear or to handle the word of God. None of us. And if the Spirit of God cracks open the door of your heart today and speaks to you, then don't put off till tomorrow what is today's business, which is to hear and to heed the Word of God. Today is the day to evaluate our hearts and to run wholeheartedly into His rest with confidence that He will not disappoint us. The rest of God cannot come from this world of wilderness. It only comes from God through faith in the Son who did exactly what Israel did not do. I was thinking about that this week. Israel gets up to the edge of the promised land and God says, if you go, I'll conquer them and you'll live. He says to Jesus, you get up to the edge of the promised land and you're going to have to die on a cross in order to get there so that you can take everybody else with you. So Jesus, in the face of death, runs to the cross so that we can have the promised land. The Israelites are promised you won't have to die and they refuse to take the promised land. Jesus undoes our rebellion. He undoes our sin. And when we give our life to him, we can enter into his rest. So don't get up to the edge of the promised land. Don't get up to the edge of heaven and then adversity comes and temptation comes and and hardship comes and, and something happens in your family and then you retreat. Don't retreat because the penalty of retreat is death in the wilderness outside of the promised land. Don't let the trouble that comes in this world cause you to return to the slavery of sin. Instead, hear the Spirit's warning and heed it today. Moeller says this, today is the day of decision. Today we will either walk with God or we will walk away from Him. Do not deny His voice. Do not delay your response. Do not disobey His command because that is how you harden your heart. To deny, to delay, or to disobey always leads to the hardening of the heart. The Holy Spirit is warning us, church, don't harden your hearts. Be soft-hearted toward the holy God who sent His Son for you. Don't be stubborn toward God because of adversity and trouble and hardship along the way. The God who calls you out of slavery is the God who uses the wilderness of this world to refine and test and prove and hone your faith. And He will deliver all who persevere, all who have true faith in His Son, into the new heavens and the new earth. So how do we keep on believing? One of my favorite songs, Don't Stop Believing. How do we we press on until the end? First, we've got to, verse 12 tells us, we've got to keep evaluating our hearts. It's a command. See to it. Keep on seeing is how the verse begins. It's translated in the New American Standard, take care. In other translations, watch out. The word is literally to see. Keep on seeing, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. The reason that the Israelites disobeyed the command to enter the promised land, do you get this out of verse 12? It's because they didn't believe God. 
the God that they had seen do amazing things in delivering them from Egypt, they still didn't believe God. Did you know that disobedience comes from disbelief? Backing away from church comes from disbelief. Backing out of Christian community, isolating yourself from other believers, accepting sinful patterns in your life as though God doesn't see or does not care. Where do those things come from? The author of Hebrews argues they come from disbelief. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. He doesn't know. He doesn't care about me. Those attitudes and actions lead to sin, which is manifested in disbelief. Verse 12 says, these things come from an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The Israelites of the wilderness generation, think about what they had seen. They'd seen the ten plagues. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the glory of God in a pillar, by cl- pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. And when God said to enter the land, they still had evil and unbelieving hearts. How do we know that? Because God said go, and they said no. When God says go, and we say no, that is the indication of an evil, unbelieving heart. If the Israelites who died in the wilderness and outside of the promised land saw all of those things, let me ask you a question. How much more catastrophic is it going to be for those who walk away from the risen Son of God? This is why we must see to it. We must discern. We must take care. Why? Verse 12 says, So that we will not have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away. The word falls away means to revolt or rebel or to turn against God. I love verse 12. Verse 12 is both corporate and individual. Do you notice that? First, we must see to it. Who's the we? That's us. We have a responsibility to keep on seeing to it that our church is not characterized by an evil, unbelieving heart. And then it goes to the individual. That, that that heart not be in any one of us. We have a responsibility for one another. You say, well, I just don't know about all that church membership stuff. Why you would really have a church that wants to know each other that deeply and actually hold one another accountable to to be responsible for their walk with Christ and to be open with one another so that someone would say, hey, brother, I think you might want to think about this. Well, why do we do that? Because it's in the Bible and it's commanded by the Bible. The idea that you can have a pep rally on Sunday and not know or care about anybody there and just come back the next Sunday and that that is church is a bunch of hooey. That's a technical theological term for bunk. Guys, you got to get connected. You got to get plugged in. Don't just be a Sunday morning pew potato. Get in a Sunday school class. We're going to hopefully in, in... the years to come, roll out some small groups across the valley where we can be together and pray for one another. We're, we're building slowly but deliberately. We want to become more and more intentional about our involvement in one another's lives. Why? Because we're supposed to see to it that an evil, unbelieving heart not spring up in the heart of any man. That's our job. When you trust Jesus and join North Roanoke, we want to see your face, we want to hear your voice, and we want to bear your burdens. 
We don't exist to entertain, we exist to exalt Christ as a community characterized by bold faith in a risen Savior. We are called to be a church of the living God, and to be a church of the living God, we've got to keep on watching out for the things that might indicate evil and unbelieving hearts, because membership, real membership in a local church, is how God cares for the souls of His children. That's the only way He does it. It's in community with other people. I praise God for major decision moments in our walk with Christ. Facing the giants in the Canaan land was a huge opportunity for the Israelites to prove their faith in God. But instead, the, the threat of violent death stopped them dead in their tracks. Let me ask you a question, church. What is going on in your life right now that requires you to believe Jesus is better in order to obey? What is going on in your life right now that requires you to believe that Jesus is better than whatever it is in order to obey. It happens frequently in my office that I'll counsel couples, and the, the world is telling people a lie. Well, you just need to go ahead and live together to save money. Did you know that obeying Jesus is better than any amount of money that you think you can save? By the way, that old lie is just a lie. Because far more often than not, those who try it before they buy it end up divorced than those that don't. Doing it God's way is the better way. Some here might be about to walk out of marriage, not because there's been long and unfaithful, a long trail of unrepentant unfaithfulness or abuse, but simply because we just don't belong together anymore. Or we've just grown apart. Or he, he just doesn't understand me. Let me ask you a question. If Christ has died and been raised from the dead, can he raise your marriage from the ashes? Maybe God's saying to get on your knees for your husband. Maybe he's saying it's time to go to counseling. But what he's not saying is just leave. Because he doesn't leave you. Someone here is having a hard time forgiving somebody that hurts you or having a hard time repenting of someone that you hurt. And you need to believe that Jesus is better than your pride and you need to run and be restored to your brother or your sister. Someone here is dreaming of a, a better job or a better life or a better something somewhere else and you need to know that Jesus is better than your wildest dreams coming true. Verse 12 is an invitation to see and to keep on seeing your heart. Is it a transformed, believing heart seeking the glory of Christ? Or is it an evil, unbelieving heart seeking the glory of self? Where are you most tempted right now to throw away the promise of entering God's rest for a momentary comfort in the wilderness? Thirdly, if we're going to fight against evil, unbelieving hearts, the third thing we must do is encourage one another to believe the gospel. Verse 13 comes with another command. In verse 12, it's negative. We've got to see to it that an evil, unbelieving heart doesn't spring up. But in verse 13, it's positive. We've got to keep on encouraging one another day after day as long as it 
times in the, in the corporate worship. I love how you're committing yourself to the Word. Other times saying, hey, sister, I, I saw this in your life. I saw that response, the way you snapped at somebody. And, and it concerns me. Now, obviously, you don't do that in front of everybody else. But to know one another well enough that you can spur them on to love and good deeds through the encouragement of the gospel. Encouragement. Did you see this? It's not optional. Like if I was to say, raise your hand if you need encouragement, that should be all of you. We all need encouragement. It's a command. And it is not optional for the Christian who endures to the end. It is essential. If you trust in Christ and you begin to live in Him, it won't take long for you to soon discover that you need encouragement. And encouragement only comes to the extent we are willing to open ourselves up to other people to be vulnerable and to allow them to speak truth into our lives. So Sunday school teachers, I want to encourage you to model and inspire gospel transparency leading to gospel encouragement. If you're a worship-only Christian, there's not enough encouragement in this room on 52 Sundays a year for you to make it. You need to find some other Christians to get connected to. And we have Sunday school classes that start at 9.45 if I can stop on time. Some of you need to find a Christian friend. Someone preferably in this family of faith that you can encourage. If not, Someone in the workplace, and you need to speak truth into their life, and you need to let them speak truth into your life, where they really know you and encourage you and hold you accountable to the faith. Were you in church this Sunday? What a blessing if somebody would call you on Monday morning and ask you that. Even better, if they were expecting to see you on Sunday morning right here. You say, well, that seems pretty difficult, pretty unusual, pretty, pretty awkward. It is. But it is essential. When I was in seminary, my first semester of seminary, I had an Old Testament class at 7.30 in the morning. God helped me. Tuesdays and Thursdays, woke up early, got my coffee, had a professor who was amazingly godly, but his voice was so sleep-inducing. It was hard. I was seated next to a brother named Marty. I didn't talk to him because it was 7.30 in the morning. He didn't talk to me because it was 7.30 in the morning. We got to the midterm, and the midterm was passed out uh, or, or handed back to the students. And Marty had done really well on his exam, and I had done really well on my exam. And the professor made a big deal about it and basically embarrassed us both. And I had been sensing in my spirit for weeks leading up to that time. We were both new to seminary. It was both our first semester in seminary, which I'd only discovered later. But I had been sensing in my spirit for weeks, you need to reach out to that guy, whoever's in that chair. And I hadn't done it. I hadn't done it. I hadn't done it. And then that class broke up. And later that afternoon, God was just, man, you really need to get to know this guy. He needs to encourage you, and you need to encourage him. And I was like, okay, Lord. If you give me an opportunity, I'll do it. Well, he's seated next to you at 7.30 every Tuesday and Thursday, but apparently that's not good enough. Now, it's going to have to be after 7.30, God. So that very day, I'm walking from the library down to the student center, and there's a guy in front of me. I'm like, that's Marty. And I catch up, and I grab his backpack. He's like, what in the world? I said, hey, man, I, you might think I'm crazy, but God is telling me we're supposed to, we're supposed to get together and pray and encourage one another. He starts breaking down. 
It says, I've been begging God to send me somebody. Find somebody who will encourage you in the faith. Don't fall short in the wilderness. The goal of Christian encouragement is not the promotion of self-esteem, but of a soft heart toward God. In our relationship with the Lord, we must not be like the Israelites. They were like an unfaithful wife who didn't care about the implications or the consequences of her rebellion until it was too late. Church, to have a heart that does not fall away, we cannot be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is a deceiver. It desires to kill you in the wilderness. It wants to take you out and prevent you from entering the land of promise. And it will keep on telling you that a momentary ounce of pleasure in a world of discomfort is greater than the comfort that God will give forever. But you've got to lean into Jesus and stay faithful to Christ, our resurrected King. Look at verse 14. The author gives us some encouragement of his own. Don't forget those Don't forget whose you are, rather, if you endure. This is an amazing sentence. Those who endure in the faith, who hold fast to the beginning of their assurance and hold it firm to the end, they have become partakers in Christ. Now, this is is a fascinating sentence because it's conditional and it's fixed. If you endure, you have become once for all Christ. You say, well, that's kind of confusing. It is a bit confusing. Those who truly endure have truly become partakers of Jesus. If you don't care about enduring to the end, you're not yet a partaker in Christ. If you think you can casually pray a prayer and leave the church and Jesus behind, if you think you can trust in Jesus wholeheartedly, but then modify that faith, or deny that faith later, then you are not a believer in Christ. But if you hear this encouragement, and you're perhaps renewed and resolved as ever to cling ever more tightly to Jesus, then be encouraged. Those who endure in belief to the end have partaken of Christ, and He is their defense. Some of you, as I preached that section, you were thinking about a friend who used to come to church and no longer does. It's time to call them and encourage them to come back. Some of you were thinking about a family member who prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, but they haven't darkened the door of a church in 10, 15, or 20 years. It's time to pick up the phone and invite them back to church. Those who are truly partakers in Jesus will endure to the end. They will remain in an environment of encouragement. Are are y'all with me, church? There is no salvation if there is no endurance. And some of you have friends and family and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, and you know they prayed that prayer and you know they got wet, but they are not enduring. And it's time to call them out in Jesus' name, lovingly, of course. It is time to get back because the proof of the endurance is that you, the proof of the salvation is that you endure. Don't hear this message and go, well, I'm enduring and I'm okay. Think about those in your life that aren't okay unless they endure. It's time to bring them back. Finally, 
we've got to understand that the stakes are serious and final. If I could summarize verses 15 through 18 in just a couple of sentences, it would be this. I know what I've told you is hard to hear, but I love you, and this is not a joke. If you do not believe Jesus when you're faced with adversity, then you don't believe in Jesus. And you will not enter his heavenly rest because of your unbelief. When you die or Jesus returns, the invitation is over. And if the Spirit is speaking to you today, if he's calling you to go all in and live for God by faith in Christ, then don't assume for one minute that you will hear the Spirit's voice tomorrow if you neglect the grace of hearing his voice right now. That's what the wilderness generation of the Israelites did. Who provoked God's anger, he asked. The people who saw him do great things in leading them out of slavery. Who got the anger and wrath of God? The same people who saw and experienced God do great things. And they died in the wilderness. Who did not enter the land of God's rest? The same people who were around to see God do those great things. Real people really saw God's power. They really heard his voice. And they really rebelled when he said it was time to take the land and they died in the wilderness, separated from the rest of God. Don't be deceived by sin and left asking at heaven's gate, why didn't I get in? Church, God is not fooled. Don't hang around church your whole life, hear the gospel your whole life, see people delivered your whole life, and miss out on the rest that awaits those who truly give their all to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. Do not harden your heart. Turn away from sin, the sin of unbelief, and run to Jesus while it is still today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Thank you for brothers and sisters who encourage us to persevere and to endure and to, to fight for holiness and faithfulness in a world that wants to knock us out. God, I pray that North Roanoke Baptist Church would be an encouraging church. We would be a church that challenges where we need to be challenged, where we would pull up and lift up out of the ashes when someone is stumbling. And God, that together we would endure and be presented as the, the pure bride of Christ at your return. God, make us ready for your return. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.